Brandon Ross, I'm Rich Greenfield. Thank you for joining Lightshed Live, Eddie, Daryl. I know uh, we had a little technical difficulties. Uh, I know you got a big week ahead and you're sort of squeezing Lightshed Live into a crazy week for the two of you. Uh, you know, I, I guess the, maybe the best way to start this conversation is why was now the right time? We've seen lots of attempts over, I mean, I, I'm, I'm 48 years old. I remember a lot of attempts at spring football over the years. Why was now the time to do it again? I think the big thing is, is, is both of the other ventures have shown the desire for the fans for football. So, you know, the big, the big thing is, is the demand is there. We know we can generate the rating. If you look at the last two that were up and uh, trying to do this same thing, there, there were circumstances outside of their control, but the actual product itself, you know, the, the spring football, the quality of the spring football, you know, it drove the rating. It competed with, with NBA playoffs. It competed with NHL playoffs. Um, but what I think we've really done a good job with here with the USFL is finding a different window. Those other windows were immediately after Super Bowl. And a lot of people will say, you know, the people want more football right away. And you know, I, I tend to say, no, I think that they, they like to exhale, enjoy that Super Bowl, uh, kind of get away from football for a little bit. But then all of a sudden that urge starts to come back. So I love the window that we have. When you talk about starting right after the Masters and going all the way into the 4th of July weekend, what's your competition there? That other window had the NCAA tournament. It's got the Masters itself. So with us coming online right after the Masters, you know, we've got the PGA Championship. We've got the U.S. Open. We've got some more playoff uh, basketball, some playoff hockey. Um, but really, if you're a football fan, what you're looking for is more football. So that that window that we've chosen to work in this time around, I think, is going to be really advantageous to us. Um, and then having, you know, Fox behind us, having a partnership with NBC, um, you know, I think some of the reasons that the other two leagues were unsuccessful in 2018 and 2019, having those types of people supporting us and everything we're doing makes a huge difference as well. So if you, you just brought up two of the reasons that you think some of the other leagues weren't as successful, one being the time wi uh, window, the time frame, and another not having quite the same broadcast support that, that you guys have. Are there other things that the uh, other spring leagues did wrong that you're going to improve on that are very tangible for our audience? Look, I, I think Moose has touched on two of the key ones. The other two uh, things... I think from our perspective, uh, first and foremost, cost control. You know, we are very focused on keeping costs in check. Um, there is science behind us being based in Birmingham, Alabama in a hub model, and that is, you know, for many reasons to, to, to keep the costs down. Um, you know, and, and the other thing that we, which isn't necessarily a, a, um, a criticism of our leagues, but it's something we have in our favour is the backing of Fox. You know, having the broad-based support of Fox and a litany of, services that Fox provides to us, whether it be, you know, the executive expertise of Eric Shanks or, or Larry Jones or uh, HR or legal or um, any number of, of services across Fox, having that broad-based backing of a corporation like Fox really gives us a, a, an advantage that none, none of these other leagues had before. So I think um, on top of the, the broadcast support, um, you know, and, and the window that, that Daryl mentioned, the cost control and the support of Fox really sets us apart from other attempts. Can you elaborate a little on that cost model? And is this a league that's going to be free cash flow positive right out of the jump, or is it going to take some time? Yeah, so t taking it from first to last, it's going to take some time to to uh, to be self funding. You know, I'd say it's not that's that shouldn't be a surprise. You know, it's, it is a significant investment to get a league of this of this quality up and running and and um, and, and to scale. Um, uh, 
you know, having said that, um, we have, we think, got a secret source where we can run this at a significantly lower cost um, uh, than other attempts, um, but also but without, you know, um, jeopardising the quality of the product. So um, part of that is the support of, of Fox. Part of that is is being based in, in one city in Birmingham, Alabama. Um, and, and part of it is, you know, just having a laser focus on that um, on that side of the PNL. So, um, so look, it, it is going to take take a, you know some time to to to, to get to um, profitability, but but we think we you know have a significantly lower lower overhead than other attempts. You just you sound like you were teasing sort of the science behind Birmingham. I guess I don't really know what you mean. I'm sure there's a, um, it sounds like there was a lot that went into why Birmingham. But could you maybe walk us through sort of that science that you were alluding to? Yes, science may be a little bit of a uh, hyperbole, but um, and it definitely was a lot of thought that went into it. Um, and you know, Birmingham has been an amazing host to us. Um, you know, to this point, they um, were very excited to host us. Um, you know. Uh, there's a magnificent stadium right across the road called Protective Stadium, which is brand new. Um, you know, we're one of the first tenants of, the, of that stadium. Um, you know, the um, uh, economics that we um, that we have, you know, both in our in our office space and the stadium um, are, are very attractive. Um, we also have use of, of Legion Field, historic Legion Field, um, for for two weekends of our games as well. Um, and look, you know, as you know, the southeast and, and Alabama in particular is is sports mad and football mad. So. Um, when you talk about controlling costs, obviously I've, I've touched on that. When you talk about having a rabid fan base um, right at your doorstep um, and in surrounding towns, um, you, know, you know there's a lot of things going for Birmingham, and that's that's why we we picked up picked them and they picked us. Maybe not the science, but maybe the acceptability that came from the pandemic. I think one of the positive things that that may have come from the pandemic, as we watch some of the professional sports leagues go down into the state of Florida in that hub model, the NBA. Uh, the MLS, the WNBA, um, you know, they showed that you could be successful, uh, you know, generating a TV rating, you would have followers uh, and your fans would support you, even though you were in kind of that hub model. So, you know, coming out of the the pandemic, you saw something implemented that had to be done a different way that was accepted by the fan base. So, you know, th that gave us the opportunity to come into the hub model, you know, from a financial perspective, to be able to be smart budget wise in year one. And I think what Birmingham has created here really, for me, they have one of the best potential sports arenas tied into hotel and hospitality for a mid-sized city in our country. They've invested wow. a lot of money into this concept. And for us to be able to showcase that on national TV for the city of Birmingham, I, I think that they have a lot to gain. It's a relationship that will continue to grow the way that, that Ed has talked about. And, and from the very beginning to where we are now, uh, you know, just watching the two entities kind of grow closer and become better teammates through this whole process uh, has been something promising. And, and I think when you do something of this scale, like they've done in Birmingham, there's a great saying in football, you don't know what you don't know. And they've gotten to, to kind of test this model on a really big scale, a scale that they probably didn't anticipate being able to do this early on in the process. And they're finding a lot of the gaps that were there. And we're going to be able to help them work through that whole process. So the relationship between us and the city of Birmingham, you know, continues to grow and, and, and we build friendships and relationships on a daily basis. Eddie and Daryl, you both sort of touched on something I want to kind of follow up on, which is, um, you know, Eddie was talking about sort of the cost model by using this hub model of everyone being in one city. But, you know, Daryl, you made them comment um, season one, or that's the plan for season one. How might this evolve over time? Like, should we expect that over, if this is successful um, financially, that we see, you know, 
eight teams in eight different cities and eight stadiums ultimately? Like, is that where you think this heads as you build fandom? How, how do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, Eric Shanks often says that he wants, you know, to see constant progress of the league. So I think, you know, at success, you know, at some point in the in the foreseeable future, all eight teams or maybe more will be playing in their um, in their home markets. We have, you know, full optionality around our relationship with Birmingham. So, you know, we may be here one year, maybe here three years, maybe here longer. But, um, you know, the Stallions will, will be here into perpetuity, hopefully. But, um, uh, you know, a lot comes down to how we come out of the gates next weekend and then the, then, then this season and as to how we, you know, um, manage that optionality and, and whether we send one or two or more teams um, out to the home markets next year or the year after. But um, it's kind of a roundabout answer. But look, we, we at success, we expect all teams to be playing in their home markets for their for their home fans in their home stadiums. And how good is that going to be? Because really, right now, if you look around the, the sports landscape, I mean, what the what did the Broncos go for in the, in the in the recent sale? You can't buy a professional sports team on your own anymore. Um, you know, th- there's a tremendous amount of wealth in this country, um, but there's a there's a very very small number of people that can really entertain that thought. So this is really going to open the door for another group of, of wealthy individuals or wealthy groups to be able to come in and own their own sports team. And that's something that's very, very rare in the United States right now. I mean, MLS franchises are, are, are approaching a billion dollars. You know, a few years ago were hundreds of millions of dollars. So, you know, if you are somebody that has been fortunate enough to generate a tremendous amount of wealth, or you have wealthy individuals around you that could come in as a group and buy a team, there's not many opportunities for you to do that. When, when we roll this out, in the USFL, we're going to open the door for a number of sports fans that, that want to, to have that experience as an ownership of a company and see if they can run a sports franchise as effectively as they ran a business that provided them the opportunity to purchase that sports franchise. Uh, and those those opportunities really don't exist in the United States anymore. Have those conversations started or been ongoing vis-a-vis franchising? Yeah, look, it's, it's fair to say that we were... Um, hit with a lot of demand or, or inbound calls when this concept was first, you know, um, mentioned um, mid last year. Um, and, you know, we had some some interesting conversations with some very high, high profile folks, but never really intended to sell any teams, um, you know, in the first year. So um, they haven't developed beyond conversations, but we're obviously, you know, um, receiving interest and, and expected to continue to do so. And when the right time comes to progress those conversations further, we'll do that. But look, we want to partner with, um, individuals that have expertise and and um, and, and operating um, experience that will help grow our league. So we're going to be you know selective and, and look to partner with with the best owners when the right time comes. And let me just follow up there. So right now, I assume you didn't want to sell any of the teams or franchise any of the teams because right now Fox has full control of the eight teams. Build the value rather than sell before you know what the value is. Um, but that's the thought process right now. Yeah, it's that for sure. I mean, giving up, being, you know, um, focused on not giving up value before the concept's proven and before the value's really, really been grown, one. But it's also organisationally, you know, being able to um, run everything from a central, you know, command centre, so to speak, have all the players, all the coaches as employees of the league, makes getting organised, makes getting things stood up, um, makes keeping costs in control all that much easier. And not just giving them on a good financial standing before you release them for purchase, but also creating your culture, you know, how you want the teams to function, kind of putting your spin on each one of the individual franchises. And and I think we've already seen that the single owner entity model is very, very challenging. Um, You know, when Vince McMahon steps up as a single owner entity and, and 
you know, yeah, the pandemic played a role in that, but there was a lot of finances that, uh, that, that were, were a part of that decision, you know, to close the XFL down at that point. Um, so, you know, it, it's a very, very difficult model as you start to see the expenses roll in for all eight franchises, uh, especially when you get out of that hub model. So, uh, you know, the, the path that, that, uh, that the USFL has chosen being very, very prudent financially, you know, starting out uh, as a single owner entity with the goal of, of moving away from that model eventually in the future, uh, to me, is one of the, the better moves that, that this league has done that the other two weren't able to do. When you move into the into franchising the teams, what IP and economics are is Fox going to have, and and what IP and economics is the franchise owner going to have? Or I know it's we're a little ways from that, but what are your broad strokes thoughts on that now? Look, I, it's really too early to say, frankly. I mean, we're um, we're focused on getting through. Um, through this season and um and that's an evolving thought process and it'd be premature for me to give any more kind of guidance around the um the, the economic model beyond beyond the current um what's currently considered year two we talk, we, we talk about getting to year two we, well we were thinking of buying a team so sure. well you're certainly wealthy <laughs> enough so uh, uh, we, we want to we want to buy the birmingham team and unite the tide fans and the tiger fans we think we could put them all under one roof that's a tall ask. No, I know. <laughs> That's never happened. Never. You know, there there is sort of this question about players, um, you know, the content itself. Obviously, you know, a big part of your success is going to be based on the content that's on the field. And there's a, obviously a, a lot of players in the NFL. We've seen sort of reboots of leagues. We've got, you know, XFL and The Rock making some noise about, you know, starting yet another league. I guess from a high level, is there enough great players or not even great? Are there enough good players? Are you confident in the amount of players to make this work? And how do you think about um, forecasting that out? Yeah, that's that's one of the tough ones because pre-pandemic, when you kind of looked at what the, the NFL roster structure was, um, you know, you were looking at potentially 70 guys times 32 franchises. That's kind of your, your, your breaking point of where your talent lies. The changes that have been made through the pandemic with expanding the NFL rosters, eliminating some of the qualifiers on the practice squad um, that, that now they're allowed to hold older players f- forever if they want on that practice squad designation. Uh, we used that was actually one of the, the great harvest points for us was guys that had lost practice squad eligibility in, in year four. And, and you could kind of swoop in and, and, and really focus on those guys uh, as leaders and foundations of, of building a league. But these numbers have started to grow to the point where your, your threshold now is even more challenging than it was in 2018 uh, when Bill Polian put together the alliance. So for us, it is a little bit more challenging, but there is some good news that has come from all the stuff that's happened with the pandemic and the, and the changes in the roster rules in the NFL. And that's, we have the largest draft class in the history of the college draft with draftable grades on them in 2022. You've extended extra years of eligibility to these college players that's created a draft class where NFL scouts now, when they go to their boards or go to their draft pool, you're talking about almost doubling the number of people that they have on their boards and who they're looking at. This, the number of spots that are available to that double of players that's eligible hasn't changed. So we're going to have a ton of guys who are good football players with potentially draftable NFL grades on them with nowhere to go after this draft on April 28th. So you know, what happens to those guys? So the timing couldn't be better. So one of the big things for us in the USFL is making sure we have the mechanisms in place to make sure we afford those guys an opportunity that that wanted to go through the draft experience 
um, and, and were hesitant to, to, to join the, the USFL at that time. They want to chase that childhood dream of playing in the NFL and, and being able now to go back in, knowing there's going to be a number of them that didn't get to have that experience and, and being able to bring them into the USFL fold. Do you foresee yourself being kind of a G League um, to the NFL? Is there any kind of relationship that you're going to have with the NFL? I think that's the sweet spot that we're trying to find. Um, we've had really, really good conversations with the NFL uh, about uh, gathering data for the kickoff play, gathering data for the punt play. A lot of things that the NFL has looked at. They have had conversations with us about using us as kind of, uh, you know, a, a, an opportunity to test the theories that they would like to implement. Um, I'm a big fan of the kickoff in the NFL and we don't get kickoff. Yeah, me too. Yeah. So we've lost yeah. that play, right? Um, we've got a kickoff in the USFL. We kick off from the 25. You're going to have kickoff returns. Um, the question is, can we still have the excitement with that play, but still stay in with the parameters of, of the safety uh, player safety that the NFL is looking for? The punt play becomes the next one. So we've had those conversations. Uh, there's some other things that we're doing in conjunction with the NFL. Um, so we've got to be able to have that relationship with them. Um, I, I think all of us don't want the designation of a, of a G League. Uh, we don't want to be a developmental league. What we want to do is have a relationship with the NFL mm -hmm. that's, uh, that's synergistic, that, that, that affords opportunity uh, flowing both directions. Um, you know, that's, that's the, the perfect setting, for, in my opinion. So how do, we, how do we navigate that road? How do we find that sweet spot? Uh, and, and that's been one of the things that's been, that's been really fun so far during this whole process uh, as these conversations have started and you see the potential. Um, if you've seen our rules release, uh, you know, with Mike Pereira and some of the things that we're adding, uh, some of the things we're doing from a production standpoint that the NFL has always kind of shied away from, I think that some of the things that we put into play this year in the USFL is going to generate enough interest from the fan base that the fan bases are going to start to put some pressure on the NFL and say, listen, you guys have always said you can't do this. The USFL just showed you can do this and it makes the game much more enjoyable. It gives the fan much more access into the kind of the inner sanctum of, of the NFL players world. So I, I'm excited to see what the response is, you know, from our viewers, from our fans that attend the games. Um, and, and maybe some pressure that they're able to put on the NFL, but always having that really good relationship um, where we move forward together. Can you talk a little bit about the broadcast innovations that you're thinking about? Because the, the NFL has gotten open to new types of broadcasts. We saw the Manning cast, which uh, Rich and I definitely love, but we're you know, Giants fans. The Nickelodeon cast. There was a Nickelodeon, Nickelodeon cast. cast. What, what are you guys thinking about? Um, and what's going to be different about your broadcast versus watching Joe Buck? Well, I guess he's not with you anymore. Sorry. Thankfully. <laughs> Sorry. Is that my allowed to say that? Thankfully. I don't know. He's a friend. I'll let it go. This time. <laughs> and specifically when you answer the question, what are the, you made a comment, Daryl, that there were certain Kevin things. Kevin Burkhart came from the Mets, by the way, Rich. So we love okay. him. But I was just going to say, there were things that you said the NFL wouldn't do. I'm curious when you answer Brandon's question, what are the things that you're doing that you think the NFL has been hesitant to do? I think one of the big things is the sky cam coming in from the defensive side of the ball. Every time we see sky cam, sky cam comes in behind the offense. So we've got that traditional shot where in the USFL, we, we have the ability to bring sky cam in from the defensive side of the ball. Well, the quarterback might hit it with a with a pass. No, our guys are good enough operators where they're going to be able to get out to safe spots. And, and we're flying two of them. We're flying a high-low double sky cam. 
Um, so that, that's one of the great shots. We had one in our, our scrimmages uh, last week with Steadicam on the field, and the Steadicam went right into our huddle. So the view from the Steadicam for the viewer at home is like you just walked into an NFL huddle, a USFL huddle, and you're looking at the quarterback and he's giving you the play call. And so it, it's bringing the viewer inside that huddle um, during the course of a live football game. So those are some of the really big innovations. Some of the technology, we've already got a ton with the Hawkeye technology that we have uh, that you see in tennis. Uh, we've got that on the on the yard marker in the NFL now where it's it's not subjective to you know the placement of the chain, the spotting of the football. There's actually a little bit of technology to support whether that's a first down or not, and why the, the distance was not made. Uh, we hope to expand that technology within the chip of the football to do some other innovative things. Um, so from a technology standpoint, I think the, the sky's the limit. And then talking to the guys from NBC and Fox, uh, you know, I've been fortunate to work with, with both Chuck McDonald and Charlie Damire, who are kind of lead producers for the two networks. Um, their challenge is the amount of new camera angles we have and the access to all these different images, how do we weave that into a traditional broadcast? And we don't overload the viewer, but we just make it more interesting and entertaining for the viewer. So I'm excited to see what Fox and NBC do with all these new camera angles and these new opportunities and weave, and weave that into the traditional broadcast, but still put their own spin on it to make it exciting for the fans. And just if you're watching here, you can ask a question by putting something either in the chat or the Q&A. So feel free to type it in and Rich and I will integrate it. Just wanted to let everyone know that. One of the questions that I, I think is probably the most obvious is fandom. How does it start? You know, obviously, no, I mean, I remember the New Jersey Generals, uh, obviously, and, you know, but these are new teams. There isn't fandom. How does it start? Like, What is maybe help us understand how you build um, fandom for teams that don't exist until this weekend, especially with a limited number of cities that don't cover most of the United States. Yeah. So look, it's a great question. And, and we get this question a lot. Um, you know, there was a reason that we bought, um, the IP that we bought firstly. Um, secondly, you know, the promotion of the league by, um, Fox, um, and NBC has been something to behold, you know, we've been running, well, Fox started running USFL promos during our NFL coverage back in December, all the way through the um, um, the end of the season. NBC ran a promo during their Super Bowl um, pregame show. Um, you know, uh, their promos run throughout throughout our NASCAR coverage um, on the Golf Channel. Uh, you know, all over the place. So, um, pr promotion by our broadcast partners is is key to that. Um, you know, having the, the network of, of local television stations that, that Fox has is also key and a, a number of, of owned and operated stations in, in markets where, um, uh, where the teams um, are currently from. Um, you know, and I think I, I look towards, you know, the effort that our social and digital team have, have made. We've um, got well over half a million um, followers across social platforms and it's growing rapidly um, day in, day out. And the Frankly, the social content that's been pushed out around the draft, around training camp, around um, all sorts of other events has been phenomenal and has, has really driven a, 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 a fan base um, quite hard. So, look, it's something we're very focused on, but we think we've got a bunch of tools like the ones I mentioned to, to, to drive it to the place, the place it needs to be. 
if you brought up socials and if you look across how social media is used in the different leagues, some leagues are great. Some of the players are great at it. Like the NBA, there's an ongoing conversation either between players or kind of as players lives unfold and others like major league baseball, like Mike Trout doesn't even have a social presence. No, no stars do. No one even knows who the stars are unless they're really big baseball fans. What's your approach at the USFL going to be to socials and how you encourage your players or don't to participate in social media? Yeah, so I mentioned the litany of, of services that uh, we have the benefit of, of receiving from Fox. Um, one of them is is having the entire Fox Sports digital um, and social team um, uh, overseeing USFL social, and they've been incredible. You know, um, for the draft, they had 24 people down here in Birmingham pushing out content, and and um, predictably, every time we have a have an announcement or an event, USFL is trending on Twitter, um, and they're, they're doing an incredible job of giving you know, fans access to um, incredible access to, to training camp and behind the scenes they wouldn't normally get. So from a league level, um, it's being expertly handled by the, um, I think, best-in-class Fox Sports digital team who are wearing a, multiple hats, you know, um, within the USFL. Um, and then players specifically, you know, as part of onboarding when the players, um, you know, arrived in Birmingham, we had our social folks speak to them and, and offered, you know, to help them with their, their social um, uh, uh, accounts and, um, so it's definitely a focus for us. We want players to, to get their brands, their names out there and to, to create great content. And we're, we're focused on helping them to do that. And, and from a league level, as I said, we're, we're, we're fortunate to have, um, you know, some, some fantastic folks from, from Fox really driving things for us. And I think one of the other components is, is we give them a little bit of a taste of, uh, of what the potential for an NFT could be, you know, kind of bringing that in um, and did an event down at South by Southwest uh, with, uh, with blockchain, blockchain Creative Labs. Uh, and they're going to be the people that support us. They're going to help us you know, help our players provide the content, give them guidance. But this is one of the great things about about this league and, and the social ties into it, because if you've built your brand on the social platform and you're well known, we have one guy that's got over a million followers uh, that's that's in our league. Uh, I think it's, uh, Krista Moore. Um, and when the guys start to see what he's able to generate from an NFT standpoint and what the NFT does for me is if you go back to the old NFL, the NFT is starting to give ownership to the individual player about his individual brand and the ability to market and license in that in that arena. As NFL players, we always had to give that up to the league. And whether it was the NFL Players Association, the quarterback club, they would come in and monetize and raise revenue and generate money. But then that was redistributed out. But they always held back a big chunk. You got a little bit, but you didn't get a lot. And, and Fox is going to help enable the, the, these people. The USFL is going to help enable our players you know, through NFTs and building their own brand. And then they're going to be able to keep the majority of the revenue that's generated there. So it's a 60-40 split, the individual player to the league itself, which is unheard of in professional sports. I mean, the NFL never afforded you a, a, a split like that. I mean, they, they were really the, the, the person that ran that whole domain when you talk about marketing and licensing. And, and, and for the USFL to help empower the player via the social media platforms into the NFT marketplace to kind of build that brand and then generate revenue on another area that they probably weren't even really thinking about when they joined the USFL is pretty powerful stuff. And then tying it into your previous question about broadcast innovation, you know, think about the the types of social clips you can um, generate through helmet cams, which are using and through sky cams and through players being mic'd up during the game, you know, the, the type of content that they'll be able to post or will be able to post as well um, really sets us apart, I think, from, from a social perspective. 
Yeah, I think I think personalizing and bringing real personality to the players and their stories can really help ingratiate fans. It's something you've seen with Drive to Survive on Netflix and and how that's really um, allowed F1 to take off. Is there going to be shoulder programming around this? Is, is that something that you foresee to help tell the stories of the players? So you, you may have seen that NFL Films uh, is is producing a, a um, hard knock style show called United by Football, um, which we're incredibly excited about. It's going to air um, on, on Fox before um, uh, our, our opening game, um, the first episode will, and that's going to be an incredible insight, you know, to behind the scenes of the, the, the growing of this league. And it won't follow any particular team, but it will follow, it follows the entire league and all the best stories from behind the scenes. So I don't know if you want to talk some more about that, but it's um, yeah, pretty impressive. Um, you know, it, it is the hard knocks crew that's here with us and they've been with us since day one. We walked in for day one when the players arrived uh, and, and NFL films had been here for over a week getting ready for us. And, and the funny thing is, is, you know, we had to go to Jeff Fisher and some of the other coaches on our staffs that had experienced hard knocks because one of the first meetings we had, there's a, there's a camera in the meeting room and the coaches that hadn't been a part of that before, like, so that's going to be here the entire time. And we had to get them very, very comfortable with how professional NFL films is and how they're in it to promote the product, to make it interesting. They're not there to create controversy. So, uh, you know, just getting that, you know, just little things that you're not aware of, but I think it's going to be great because you talked about the access, you know, with the F1 series and, and getting to see, you know, the, the personality of the player, getting into that life, the individual, uh, seeing some of the, the the challenges during the course of the season, we're going to bring a little bit of humanity in, into the players in our league, and, and I think it's a tremendous opportunity for them. Um, you know, I, I I think you see hard knocks every year; they're always going to a team every year. There may be hesitancy from some of the NFL teams because they don't want that that twenty four seven surveillance, those cameras all around you. These guys are phenomenal. It, it is exactly what Jeff Fisher said. After the second day, you don't even know they're there. I mean, they just disappear into the background. So I think what you're going to be able to get is some really, really great footage and and see some interesting stories about these guys going through the day-to-day as they continue to chase their football dream. It it also sort of shows and underscores the NFL sort of alignment with the USFL, just having NFL films being involved with you on day one. Yeah, I mean, I I guess um, following on from Daryl's earlier comments about the NFL, you know, without wanting to speak to the NFL, I, I couldn't think of anyone the NFL would sooner own this league than Fox. You know, the NFL is Fox's biggest partner. Um, clearly, you know, we're not going to do anything to to hurt the NFL for that very reason. Yeah. So um, the relationship becomes very symbiotic as, as a result. So absolutely. So you mentioned NBC. Maybe help everyone who's, you know, watching and going to listen to this and watch it later. Why was NBC needed? Um, obviously, Fox is a major broadcast network. Uh, with affiliates, why did you need NBC as well, and why sort of the double broadcast? This I think will be the first time we've ever seen. We've seen ESPN and ABC and Fox and Fox Sports One. We've seen dual broadcast. I don't think we've ever seen two competing networks broadcast the same game before. Uh, that seems like maybe the biggest innovation in and of itself, and we haven't really talked about it. Yeah, so um, you know, when we think about growing this league, we're thinking about growing it as an independent league and doing the best possible things for the league and having the two best broadcasters of professional football as the broadcast partners is clearly a good thing. Um, so um, uh, that's my first point. Se- secondly, having the two best broadcasters of professional football paying us a rights fee 
is really unheard of from in terms of a, a you know startup league, and so that's economically fantastic, and we think really you know proves what we're doing out. Um, you know, and thirdly, from a distribution perspective, you know, getting this in front of as many eyeballs as possible, having both those broadcast partners is definitely um, going to help with that. So um, there's a lot of reasons to do it. The the cooperation between Fox and NBC has been incredible to 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 see. You know, we have. Um, weekly, if not more frequent meetings with the execs there to, to talk about the, the, the building of the league. And they've been fantastic in their support. Um, you know, they're, without speaking for them, they're very bullish about the opportunity. I think very excited to be um, a partner and, and we're excited to have them as a, as a partner. And as you touched on, our opening game um, this Saturday night at 7.30 Eastern um, is going to be the first um, uh, scheduled major sporting event um, to be simulcast on two competing broadcast network since the first Super Bowl. So that's historic in itself um, and testament to the cooperation that's going on between NBC and Fox. And just to be clear, it's, it's a simulcast, meaning it's the same broadcast crew on both networks, Fox and NBC sort of co-branded or what will it look like in terms of logo? This is like a real like, ratings war. Will it be pure Fox <laughs> on Fox and pure NBC on NBC or do, will it obvious, will it say like just how will it work, I guess? Yeah, so NBC will be doing the pregame show and it'll be the Fox uh, 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 talent doing the broadcast, but um, a, a true true simulcast. And, and just to follow up on Ed's point about the production value of, of those two partners, I mean, for somebody who's played in the NFL, for somebody who enjoys watching the NFL, uh, America's Game of the Week and Sunday Night Football are, are the two iconic games that happen every week in the NFL. And to have the ability to have those two distribution partners together working uh, in unison uh, is, is something that I don't think anybody could imagine, you know, when we started this journey. So uh, yeah, that, that is, that's really one of the, the big things, even with our coaches, when we hired our eight head coaches and we started to talk to them about who was involved with this and the partnership between Fox and NBC was one of the big drivers to get some of the bigger names in our, on our head coaching list to come this way. The other thing to mention as well uh, is obviously Fox, is, is a US centric company now and and um, and Comcast has you know international um, reach and and um, you can expect to hear soon about our international distribution and 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 to to not to spoil the surprise it's going to be a pretty exciting announcement you know the, the international distribution is another kind of key leg to the stool and 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 NBC has been incredibly helpful in driving those international deals it's always good when you sell sky to Com- to NBC Comcast um sorry can you you talk about um a little bit about what the ratings expectations are for this league and then how do you see it splitting between fox and nbc no i'll I'll probably leave the second question alone i know (laughs) the first one um what i'll say is we have you know a lot of ambition around ratings and um Moose touched on earlier that, you know, the, the XFL, um, before it was shut down by COVID, was outrating the NBA. It was doing about 1.9 million viewers a game, right? So that's our baseline expectation, you know, to, to be the highest rated um, professional sport league in the spring. It sounds, you know, amazing to have that ambition, you know, g- given the other sports that are, that are around, but that is our ambition and we think that is achievable given what we've seen um, from previous attempts. Um and given our core belief that there is just profound demand um, in this country and, and, and beyond for, for more football. And, and the big thing is, is going back to what you guys said earlier, the quality of the product on the field, that's going to be the number one driver. 
we'll have the hardcore fan uh, that Ed just talked about. And week one, we'll have curiosity. You know, those viewers will tune in to just see what this is all about. Uh, if the product is as good on the field as, as we intend it to be, that's when we get the hook. That's when we get to keep them for week two, week three, week four. And you generate actual support more than just the curiosity. The other thing to mention as well is, is obviously wagering. You know, it's, it's, it's a great tailwind for us. We're not looking to shove wagering down, down fans' throats. But, um, you know, which you and I have spoken about this before, that, you know, all that matters in, in U.S. sports wagering is football. You know, 70% odd of um, an acquisition happens during football season. And so extending that football window by 10 to 12 weeks is, is pure gold to the operators, frankly. And, and, and we think we'll, we'll drive significant um, viewership of our, of our product as well. Are there any clear partnerships with DraftKings, FanDuel, yeah, you know, a, around, you know, if I just think about, you know, all of them, what have Caesars and etc. been doing? You know, Fox, but what has everyone been doing to prepare for this or is it too early because it just doesn't exist yet and they don't know the demand? Yeah, so so what I'll say is that the um, work that the Fox legal and government relations team have done to, to get the league set up to, to um, for operators to um, legally accept wages um, across the country has been phenomenal. You know, I set the task, or we set the task them back in November to be legal in, in um, you know, in every state where wagering is legal and, and come game day we'll be We'll be pretty close you know it's it's well over 25 states where um where regulators given us the green light so that's been the core of our focus is getting the product you know le- uh, um, set up in uh, with state regulators um you, you know uh, both our broadcast partners have um have wagering partners uh, so that, that they are obviously partners of the, of the broadcast um the broadcasters themselves um and then i've i've noticed that um at, at least four or five um, operators already have, you know, lines for our opening game. So the challenge for operators obviously is that, you know, a lot of the players aren't familiar to them and the teams definitely aren't. The teams don't have a track record yet. So, um, you know, I'd suspect they'll be kind of softly, softly around limits and and, and how deep they or how broad they go with um, with props and so on and so forth. But, you know, the groundwork's been done, um, as I said, by, by legal and GR to, to, to have the product legal in in um, in, in a, a critical mass of states. And so we'll grow from there. And look, wagering's not core to our thesis, but it's obviously a great tailwind for, for the league and, and for viewership as well and engagement. Could you talk a little bit about the broadcast schedule, the time slots you've chosen, days of weeks you've chosen, what you're replacing programming-wise on Fox and why those were the right days or times to actually slot in more football? Yeah, so most of the games are on are on Saturdays and Sundays. There's there's a handful of of, um, of Friday night games, um, and um, and you know a, a vast majority of them are in prime time as well. So so incredibly attractive um, uh, windows. Um, you know, um, we were fortunate to have you know availability around where you know where we wanted to place the games, and 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 um, without speaking for MBC, obviously they. Um, gave up uh, the NHL, and so they have some really attractive windows as well. So, from a distribution perspective, you know we have 43 games, including the postseason. I think 22 of them are on free-to-air um, uh, broadcast television. So that's more um, free-to-air exposure than any other um, professional sport league in the spring, including the NBA. Um, I think uh, of, of the balance, um, all but three are on FS1 and USA, and and um, and three are on Peacock. So. Incredible distribution and really unheard of from a the startup league's perspective. And what does access look like? I mean, I think one of the things that you know we always sort of joke about is I can sort of play a game on my phone anywhere in the world. I can watch Netflix anywhere in the world. But you know, watching sports 
has never been easy. I know the NFL is sort of rethinking its mobile rights right now. It, it you know, previously was with Verizon and I think wasn't the easiest thing for a lot of people to access. How am I going to find USFL content if I'm not home? Are you going to make it easier? How, how does that look? What does that look like on day one? Yeah, so look, day one, we, we firmly believe in the NFL model, which is putting as much of our content on free-to-air television as, as, as possible, and we've, we've done that, right? Yeah. And so, um, look, beyond that, we're going to make um, games as accessible as possible, but from the outset, you know, free-to-air TV is our focus, and, and that's seen from where the, where the games are being placed. And, and do you think over time you simulcast? I mean, we're seeing more and more games being simulcast on streaming as well as on linear do you like that model? I mean, I know you mentioned three games on Peacock, but is there any reason not to simulcast some of these games as well? Or you just believe in the goal is to really drive since, I mean, obviously Fox is a broadcast focused company. Is the goal to just drive broadcast, broadcast, broadcast? Yeah, look, I, I think that's more of a question for Fox and NBC and we're kind of sitting here with the USFL hat on. So so for now, you know, I've described the the, um, the strategy of our broadcast partners and how that evolves over time, I guess, is a decision for them. But um, but right now, we're you know, we're happy with with where the games will be and, and how they'll be able to be watched. So the XFL is coming back this time under new ownership, no Vince. Um, how do you view them as a competitor? How worrisome is that? Is there room for both of you? Do you want to have to go first and I'll follow? Yeah. If I make a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> I like how Eddie passed that question right off. So that's all Daryl. I got the cleanup on the backside. Yeah. <laughs> That that's always been the big question. We talked about just the single league. Is there enough talent available to run one league? Uh, you know, in the spring, when we talk about the expanded roster numbers that the NFL uh, has put in place, uh, we, we have the, the the fortunate numbers that I talked about with the expanded draft class this year. Uh, but but how long does that carry on, and and how how quickly do those players fade uh, that were available in 2023? Um, so I think the biggest question that everybody has always had is there room for two. Because there was always the conversation about competitive leagues coming online, and it's always been about who can get there first, uh, whether it was the Alliance in 2018 ahead of the XFL in 2019. Um, the XFL proved to be the wiser one of, of taking a slower approach approach and building it slow, um, and then had the unfortunate uh, situation with the pandemic and, and the impact that it had on the finances of the WWE. Um, with, with this one starting up now, uh, and and you know the USFL coming on board, uh, I, again, I think you have that, you know, we, we are the first to market. We're going to be the first to play. We have, we have gone into that draft pool of eligible players and really kind of gotten all those guys signed with contracts. And, and, and now how do we, how do we, you know, maintain that advantage that we've, we've created by being the first one to be able to get to market and, and be able to broadcast. So, um, I think the big thing for us, when people bring up the XFL, what I want to do is talk more about the USFL. I don't want to be critical of anybody that's trying to do this exact same thing, but I do want to promote the things that we are doing. And and these are things that they haven't done yet. So, you know, you're, you're talking about the potential of competition down the road. Let's talk about what we're actually accomplishing right now on a day-to-day basis. And, it, and it's been quite remarkable from where we were on November 1st to where we were on April 1st, uh, as we're ramping up, you know, just two weeks out, you know, getting ready for the game here uh, uh, on the on the 16th. So um, that that's the thing that I'm most proud of and, and that I'll always shift that conversation to talk about. Uh, it's been a heavy lift. We've got a number of people wearing different hats. Uh, there, there are no 
there are no lanes of where your job title ends. It, it is an all an all hands on deck mentality. And uh, in our staff here at the Uf USFL has embraced that. So I, I always want to just talk about the positives of the things that we have done and we have created to get to the point to put this game on, whether it's the, the broadcasting partners we've created, the technology that we're going to implement, the innovative angles of, of cameras that we're going to provide for the viewers. Uh, these are all fantastic things that we are going to showcase on Saturday. Everything else is is possibly in the future. So for me, I think it's it, it's more important to talk about what we are accomplishing right now uh, as opposed to what may happen down the road. And what I'd add to that as well is, you know, um, we're very respectful of, of all competitors across all Fox's businesses, um, but we're not scared to compete, right? And that's drilled into us by, um, by all our senior executives. So we'll compete with whatever, you know, competitive threat comes along, if it comes along in the future, um, but we're not scared of that. And, and, and what I'd say is that, you know, you think about our distribution, you think about the support we have from Fox, you think about the support we have from the city of Birmingham, you know, we've got a lot of tailwinds and it's creating a pretty, pretty big moat around future competitors. You know, you, you talk about talent, you know, all our talent is signed to two year contracts. So um, we've had first pick of this talent um, and, and, uh, and I've got them locked up for, for a period of time. So look, as I said, we're not scared of competition, but we are building, we think a pretty, a pretty wide moat um, around, around this, uh, this league. Do you think, I mean, can you already tell that you have superstars? I mean, are there going to be 10 to 20 players that you look at and go, that is going to be what's going to define the USFL in season one? Yes, I think we have the best starting group of quarterbacks uh, that, that any spring league has had recently. Um, you know, so I think the quarterback play is the most important thing. Uh, I've been very impressed with the offensive line we've had. That's always an area of concern, even at the NFL level. You know, we've seen NFL teams that have been in playoff contention and all of a sudden there's injuries in the offensive line position. And we've seen that shift their season it happened in Dallas two years ago. Um, so we, we know how important that position is. So we, we feel really good about the key positions uh, that, that we have right, right now. Uh, but when you talk about potential stars, yeah, th there's a couple of them. And, and again, it's this this numbers game of the pandemic. And, and it's not just this year's draft class being expanded. It's, it's 2020, you know, when the leagues and the NCAA and everything shut down, uh, th these guys just got lost. I mean, there's a number of them. We've got, we've got a running back here in, in, in our league who, who I think uh, is going to, to really be one of our, our high profile players moving forward. Um, you know, we've got edge rushers that are not quite the measurables on their, on their resume that the NFL is looking for, but they're just good football players. And I think it's an opportunity for them to come to a league that doesn't really get caught up in the fractions of inches and, and, and tenths of a second and just looks at the film and looks at the guy and meets him and says, this is just a good football player and give him that opportunity to put that on his platform. So every other league has done this. Every other league has sent guys to the NFL, got them out of that practice squad rotation and actually got them to the active roster. Uh, I think the USFL is going to surpass both of the other two leagues in creating that opportunity for guys to get back to the NFL. And again, it goes into our calendar. That calendar gives a little bit of a gap for the fan to exhale and then create that desire to want to consume more football, but it gives the player the time to get his body ready to go to the NFL training camp. The NFL training camp has changed. It's not as physical. There's an acclimation period right at the start. So with our championship being, being on July 3rd, that's plenty of time for these guys to get ready mentally and physically and get in, uh, to get invited to an NFL camp at the end of July, at the beginning of August. So uh, I think you're going to see the USFL put more guys into training camps than any of the other two leagues. And I'm, and I'm, I'm very confident that we're going to have several guys that actually transition that into an opportunity with the NFL this fall. 
So I know we got to get you guys out of here because it's 10 o'clock uh, Eastern, but just maybe the last topic is we've got a lot of investors that I'm sure are you know, industry investors on this who are just trying to think about how do they judge success for Fox in year one? And is it a viewership metric? Is it a social? Like what, how, do, how should we think about judging season one of, of USFL? So the first step, you know, which had set us apart from other previous attempts is making it to season two. Right, <laughs> financially making it to season two, just that simple fact. Absolutely, and and you know, as I sit here today, you know, we feel very confident that that um, the model is is well and truly uh, intact, and that the thesis around how we'd be able to stand this thing up is is in great shape. So, um, but that's yeah, quite simply, goal one. Um, yep. Goal two is is to achieve the type of ratings that we um, that we discussed uh, earlier, um, and and that. Probably is the key. Meaning problem. two million plus. I mean, two million plus is sort of the bar in your mind. I, th- I think so. Yeah. Um, and then, and then just you know, to earlier point as well, building a fandom and a and a, um, a, a and a following around the league, you know, which sets us on the path for for, for longevity. Um, you know, one thing that Eric Shanks does say is it is it takes you know three years to to um, create habitual viewing and to set people's mm-hmm. habits around um, any entertainment property and. So we're funded for the long term, and and we're not going to judge us, uh, ourselves on on one season or even two seasons. We think it's going to take three years to 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 really make this a habitual uh, uh, property that that fans watch. And um, you know, not coincidentally, after three years, there's then a rights renewal. So um, at that point in time, we'll we'll hopefully see a, a you know big big step up in um in in the rights fees that we receive as a league and, and off to the races. But they're they're kind of the key metrics I think that people should be focused on. Look, I think the idea that there could be, you know, eight stadiums or even more stadiums in three years. There, I mean, it seems like there's a tremendous amount of potential not having to rely, you know, sort of on a single individual the way this has sort of happened in the past. So uh, on behalf of Brandon, we wish you guys both a tremendous amount of luck this weekend. We'll certainly be tuning in on Saturday night uh, on Fox. Uh, maybe we'll check out the NBC as well. Two just to out make sure of the two working. million. We'll, we'll make sure it's at least working on NBC, but we'll try to watch Fox. Uh, and we just wish you both uh, really a, an exciting weekend. And thanks for making time for us. I know you've got a crazy week. Thanks so much. Good to be with hey, you. Thank guys. you, everyone. Thanks, guys. Take care.